Hello, and welcome to another episode of Healing Fucking Sucks. Today on the show, you guys got what you requested. You got what you wanted. We have the beautiful, amazing Dr. Shiloh back. Dr. Shiloh, how are you? I am good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Um, So you by far have like triple the amount of downloads on my podcast. (laughs) People love you. Uh, even my mother was like, she's just so easy and calming to talk to and listen to. So I was like, I'm going to ask her if she'll come back on the show. I don't know <laughs> if it'll be too much, but you said yes. So here you are. And I'm so thankful to have you back. Well, I'm glad to be back. It's very flattering to hear that people responded well. Uh, the first time I was on your show. And I'm just excited to get more information out to as many people as we can. Yeah, for sure. I know last time I had you on the show, we had an agenda to talk about trauma and or abuse cycles like on all bases. And we kind of sort of just got stuck talking about narcissistic abuse. And that's um, probably my fault because of my ADHD. And if I don't make a list, I will just go down a rabbit hole. And at the end of the conversation, I'm like, I didn't talk about like the 20 other things that I wanted to do. So (laughs) now we make lists (laughs) and here we are. So today we are going to talk about intergenerational trauma. Right. So... A lot of people don't know what this is, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is like a, a a hidden secret. We have to get it out there because I feel like this is really the starting point to all of our traumas, and if we gain a knowledge of it, it's not going to be like this silent culture thing anymore, you know, because right. it kind of turns into a cultural thing because we are unconscious of it, so... Education is key. I say it all the time on my podcast. Okay. Dr. Shotlow, what is intergenerational trauma? So a very brief definition of intergenerational trauma is trauma that is transmitted from one generation to the next. It's exactly what it sounds like. In the more broader clinical sense, it's the transfer of emotional psychological, and sometimes physical pain and distress from one generation to the next. So that's a little more detailed, but this occurs when it affects um, trauma from the sense of things like abuse, violence, or adverse experiences, like something you would find in war, that linger and impact the well-being of not just the person that they have actually experienced those things, but subsequent generations along with them. Okay. So does this become genetic? Is it imprinted on our genetic code? Yes, absolutely. So I want you to like consider where a family or a grandparent has survived war, right? Maybe they're experiencing the horrors or the conflict of that kind of really intense instability and that untreated trauma. Let's let's make sure we're clear about that. Intergenerational trauma happens when it's untreated. 
um, and that that first person, the originator of that trauma, doesn't seek help or explore that. So the untreated trauma from that experience might manifest in forms of emotional distance. Maybe they have like no affect in how they express their emotions to the world. They're blank faced all the time. Maybe they have a lot of un, um, unspoken anger or repressed anger, or they have heightened anxiety. And this shapes the way that they interact with their children and their grandchildren. Um, so for, for, Subsequent generations, we have what we call epigenetics, and that means that trauma is so impactful. Like we've talked about before, we don't just feel it in our brains. We feel it in our entire person. We feel it in our whole body. We feel it in our muscles. We feel it in our lymphatic system, in our nervous system. So what happens is is the DNA code for that person actually becomes rewritten with this trauma code sort of stored in it. And then when the next generation is born, they're born with that trauma imprinted in their DNA code. So when something happens to them, their body responds in the form that they had from that first person. And it's like an instinctual response at that point. So in the example of that war survivor, their belief in constant vigilance uh, their need for emotional detachment as a survival mechanism that may be passed down through the generations in the DNA. And they may not even recognize that that's what's happening, but you can have a grandchild who is almost uh, born with similar beliefs, perpetuating a cycle of emotional distance in order to cope with the world. That is so interesting. So are you saying like I could have a part of my DNA that my grandmother had that maybe that my mother didn't display? Yeah, it absolutely can. Uh, what we are seeing in the research is that it can go back three generations. So it's not just our children or their children. It's the children that come after that. Wow. Okay. This is intent. If someone is like adopted, mm -hmm. obviously their genetic code is going to have something from their biological family, right? Right. Do they pick up, um, and this might be something that you don't even know, but I was just interested in asking, do they pick up on like the genetic code of their adopted family eventually? So this goes to that nature versus nurture question, right? On how do personalities develop? Are they developed by our DNA code or are they developed yeah. by the environment that we grow up in? So when I'm talking about epigenetics and how that uh, trauma experience is carried over, um, that could look like, um, I, I knew a young man once who was adopted from Russia and his mother had uh, been involved with heavy drug use, and he was in an orphanage till he was about two before he was adopted. No matter what his adoptive family tried to do with him, his, his uh, facial expressions, his ability to understand emotions, and his ability to uh, display emotions was muted. It was 
chronically muted. Uh, so his family of origin were all very outgoing, very boisterous. They That was not something he was getting from the environment It was that he was in. It was something that was sort of hardwired within him. And that's hardwired that way because when you go through intense trauma, your body is flooded with adrenaline and cortisol and all these neurochemicals that are really about survival. They're meant yeah. to be something that is helping you survive a horrible incident. What happens is, is then your body is so flooded with them that it's, it's imprinted on your DNA and it becomes a like way of life for you at that point. That means this baby is brought into the world with all the trauma that the mom had been through with drug use and sexual assault and things like that, it's, it's brought into the world in a fight or flight state. And so you kind of have to unravel that. And that may mean we don't know everything that happened to the mom, but we know that this is what, how it's impacting this young man. So we teach him coping skills and how to engage with the world in a way that works for him. We may not be able to go all the way back and unravel what happened to mom. Right. Yeah. So then that would make a lot of sense for parents that have children that are like, I don't understand why they act this way. Like we, mm -hmm. we're not like this or, yeah, you know, you just have like that child that is like so different and has all these different, um, right things going on in their life and you're like, why? I, I don't get it. It's because it can literally like skip yes, generations kind of and around. Yeah. It can. Sometimes we can't get to that root cause of what has brought that trauma on. But what we can do is work on some of the uh, somatic issues that are experienced as that abuse cycle plays out in future generations. Somatic is a, a term we use to refer to the physical symptoms. So that heightened anxiety, we can help somebody try to learn to reduce that, even if they don't know why they're anxious. Sometimes you can meet like a two or a three-year-old who's anxious. Um, yeah. Sometimes people come into this world and their anxiety level is automatically higher than other mm -hmm. people's. So sometimes it's more about teaching them how to manage the symptoms than to unravel the trauma itself. Yeah, because that could, I feel like that would be a, a quicker fix. <laughs> right. Um, because, yeah, you would have to do like some serious inner work, a lot of med meditative work for years to like dig down to the root cause. And that's even if you can figure out where it came from, you know, right. I feel like most, most people don't, that's really hard to figure out. So let's talk about, um, trauma, the, and trauma impact. Um, so mm -hmm. it doesn't only impact our, um, our brains and our minds, but it impacts our body and we store it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So what it actually does is it impacts our belief systems. Um, and by that, it's like, for example, I come from a family heritage of Cherokee Indians. Okay. So 
if you are familiar at all with the Cherokee tribe and the Cherokee nation, that's where we have like the trail of tears, uh, where they were displaced, uh, where they went miles and miles and didn't have a landing spot. And then everything about them as a tribe, they were spread out over a certain area because they, they were just, they were homeless and displaced. Um, when you have somebody that goes through that type of a trauma, they tend to have a lot of fear of abandonment because everything mm-hmm. that they have known, everything that they hold dear has been taken from them. So yeah. if great grandma believes that we don't trust people because people are going to take everything from us, then that is part of the belief system that their children are raised with. And then that is then taken to the next generation. So it's not just all about what's written into the DNA code. It's we were, we are taught, okay, we don't believe people are trustworthy or that people are going to try and steal from us. And then that generation teaches their kids the same thing. And they may not even know why. And by the time you get to like the great grandchildren, they have this inner belief system that we don't trust people stay away and have no idea where it originated from. It's just the way we've always done it. Yeah. And I had the big smile on my face when you were talking about the trail of tears because um, <laughs> it's such a small world. Uh, we might be related to each other. I don't know. <laughs> but um, my mother literally lives where the trail of tears started um, mm-hmm. in Chatsworth, Georgia. Right. Um, so the chief fan house is there. I don't know if you've ever been there and seen it. Um, but so the, the history of all of that is there. And I learned a lot about it um, growing up, mm-hmm. even though my father told me that I had Cherokee Indian in me. And then I kind of just feel like that's something that every Southern person tells their child. And then right. you get your ancestry DNA and it's like, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I don't have yeah. Any Native American. In my ancestry at this point, I could be a card carrying member of the Cherokee Nation if I chose to. Oh, like I, nice. I have the blood markers and everything to prove it. Um I my grandmother is a card carrying member. Um I my aunt, my cousins. So yes, for sure. It's funny how stories like that get passed through families and sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. It I, it's definitely like a southern thing. I hear it all the time. I have chair I have like Indian Native American in me and I'm like I've been telling people that for years. And then like 5 years ago I did my ancestry.com and it was like Swedish, Wales, <laughs> Northern Europe, <laughs> was like well, Scotland, <laughs> Irish. If it makes you feel any better, on my father's side of the family, I am Scottish. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, I'm not completely 100% Cherokee. On my mother's side, I'm Cherokee. On my father's side, I'm Scottish. While we might, you know, have some blood in that area, that's about it, though. <laughs> so, Dad, you lied. <laughs> Coming for you. <ya. laughs> Um, so do you think that, um, intergenerational trauma is kind of like what the church talks about when they talk about generational curses? Yeah, I do. It's like the sins of the father 
or like if you have a parent who has experienced child abuse themselves, the unresolved trauma may lead to difficulties in forming relationship attachments with their own children. Uh, this in turn can then perpetuate cycles of emotional neglect or physical abuse as that parent unintentionally replicates the patterns that they learned. So yes, absolutely. I think that's where we get like that religious terminology of generational curses. I think absolutely it is. It's unhealed trauma. Yeah. So when I was reading this, I was like, that is what they've been talking about in church my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, so relieved to know that this is not just spiritual, <laughs> right? you know, yeah. um, and that it's actually scientific and it's in our DNA. And <laughs> no, it's emotional. It's like just, it's part of the human experience. It's an emotional distancing that we all experience just because humans are innately flawed. Um, yeah. You know, even the most perfect, precious little baby is not perfect. Like they're so sweet and so adorable. You look at them and you think this is the most innocent creature on the planet, but that little baby is not perfect. And, uh, that, <laughs> that baby is, is inherently flawed and just like all the rest of us. Yeah. It's just that little baby's not perfect. I nope. just pictured like this little baby with a little demon horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Okay. I know that you had some notes that you wanted to touch on. So what do you yeah. got? Well, you know, when we think about intergenerational trauma, it can lead to like this cycle of abuse and Really what that means is like, if you've ever seen another good example of how this plays out is like families who are socioeconomically uh, lower in their, their income or mm -hmm. who are experiencing things like homelessness or things like that. If you go back and you look at their family history, you probably are going to see a generational history of that happening over and over and over again. Uh, other things that you can see are things like alcohol abuse. So it's really yeah. funny when you do like a genealogy of your tree and you can see where, you know, cousin Johnny has alcohol abuse in his history. Well, so did his dad and so did his dad and so did his dad. And you can almost go back and find where that that actually originated. And it's funny how you'll see those things trickle down. It can create this emotional distance and these unhealthy coping mechanisms that are adopted by one generation. And then that contributes to a cycle where the children grow up with improper emotional support. And as they become adults, they struggle to provide emotional security for their own children and unintentionally keep perpetuating that cycle of emotional neglect. Wow. Wow. It's so good to know that all of this stuff is not just learned behaviors right. and that it's like it, – it's actually in our DNA. It's psychological. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So is this reversible? It is. It is. Um, if we're looking to sort of break free from some of that intergenerational trauma, 
it's important, number one, to seek help. This is a complex thing. It's not something you're going to unravel on your own very easily or very quickly, but you can break those cycles. It requires conscious effort. It requires you being willing to recognize and address those patterns that have become ingrained throughout the generations. Um, it, it's things like seeking therapy, getting educated on it, um, building a support community of people who are like-minded who can also help provide you with tools that are needed in order to sort of get a grip on this intergenerational trauma. There are two things that I think are really important um, when you're trying to sort of dig into some of this. Number one, you have to come at it from a place of empathy and understanding. Uh, yeah. Don't go into this with the idea that I'm looking for somebody to blame for the reasons that I'm so messed up. That's not what we're looking to do. What we're yeah. looking to do is to, to say, okay, this happened to this person and oh my gosh, that had to be so hard for them. How is that impacting me and what can I do about it now? The next thing, the second thing that I think is a, a really important piece is fostering an environment that supports healing because there's that saying you can't heal in the same environment that you got broken in. So yeah. be, being willing to break those cycles and do things differently. People overall, just human beings in general, have this tendency to want to do things the same as they've always done them. This is how we've always done it. Um, we don't do it that way. This is how we've always done it. You'll hear that a lot, especially in like religious cultures. It's like yeah. if you come in and you try and change something, they'll go, oh, this is how we've always done it. You know, we pass the plate this way. We baptize this way. Um, things like that. So give yourself permission to break out of the, the, the way we've always done it mold. The way you've always done it is why you've ended up the way you are. It's time to try yeah. something new. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad that you said that because even though I was very unconscious of intergenerational trauma, uh, all of this stuff, I did see that, you know, what my mother was doing was not working when yeah. we were growing up. And now my mother... Oh my God. I, and everybody knows on this show, I love her so much. And she worked, you know, two and three different jobs, like constantly. And I don't know how she had the energy for it. Like I've never had that amount of energy in my entire 30 something years on this planet. And right. I just don't even get it. And she has just always made it work somehow. I mean, we struggled. I mean, we always ended up, you know, having what we needed, but something in my head always said, I think things can be better. Mm -hmm. I think there's a different way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in psychology and so I'm learning all of these things, I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> my, my brain is just like. Your mom, I think, sounds like a perfect example of how people can develop unhealthy coping strategies. They work in the moment. There are strategies that they're using for survival. Like this whole thing, yeah. trauma is a response to something that feels bad that is happening in your environment that you're needing to survive. And so in the moment, her coping strategies kept her safe. 
they kept her alive, they kept her going. If you were to try and carry those into your life, they're no longer helpful. They're, they become maladaptive because you're not experiencing the trauma that she was experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Um, I, why are we so wired to like be so okay with a familiar hell and so not okay with an unfamiliar heaven? Um, I, I think humans have a tendency to have a fear of the unknown. Um, yes, most, people I mean, I, I'm even scared. That's why I have anxiety yeah. all the time. I'm, I'm, yeah. ter- I'm terrified of the future. I think most people have a fear of the unknown. They have this fear of failure and the unknown kind of just feels so unsafe and unsettling. So they will stay in the familiar, even if the familiar is toxic or bad for them, because they know what that is. They can recognize it. They know what's coming. And somehow that feels safer than stepping out and trying something new. Yeah, it takes courage. It really does. That's why we have to have a support system in place to help us do these things and to make these changes because it's not easy. It does take courage to do it. You do have to have empathy, not just for other people, but for yourself. You have to show yourself a lot of grace. I've had to have so much grace for myself. Um, through this healing journey. And since the the last time I had you on the show, I mean, I, the day I had you on the show last time, I could barely even wake up that day, you know? And so I haven't used much footage from that episode because (laughs) I looked a hot mess, but, um, you know, now it's, it's only been a couple, like a month or so. And I, was up at 6.30 this morning. I made myself a healthy breakfast. I'm starting to eat better. I'm detoxing my whole body. I'm learning to just sit with myself. And um, we have to learn to ha- have grace with ourselves. And yeah. it's one of the hardest things for, our, I think, most people. At least it, it is for me to just be patient yeah. and, and learn to have grace and love for myself. I think, um, in my experience, I see women tend to struggle with this in particular, the the idea of having grace for yourself, because there's some sort of like societal pressure to meet a certain standard and to um, have your life kind of packaged right by a certain age and things like that. And I think women have, they put this internal pressure on themselves in a way that can sort of drive this kind of trauma because they always feel like they're not measuring up. Like kind of like the same, like men raise like to man up basically, like don't show your feelings, um, you know, don't express your emotions, just man up. Like, you know, absolutely. We have really, as a culture and society, hindered ourselves in so many ways by Mm -hmm. doing stuff like this, which is intergenerational trauma. Yes. (laughs) Around the board. It could help so many people heal and understanding, you know, it's, it's key to just know, like, 
what is going on? <laughs> right. We yeah. don't we don't have to be running around like crazy in pain all well, the time. I, I think the truth is there's very few things in life that we experience that somebody hasn't experienced before us. Yeah. But we a lot of times there are some things that we tend to associate as uh, shameful. And so then we don't talk about it. How much better is it to share that information and maybe possibly save someone from hitting the same potholes in life that we've already experienced, right? Yes. We have to get through that, that shame that's kind of ingrained in our DNA a little bit in order to do that. Anxiety is another one. Um, yeah. That I think so many people struggle with. In fact, the data suggests that anxiety is the number one mental health issue globally. And it affects I could see that. 87% of the adult population at some point is going to have some sort of anxiety disorder. Uh, maybe it's not chronic long-term, but they experience it at some point. Um, I actually just this week released an anxiety program that's a hundred percent free now through January 1st. It's a 30 day email program Oh, nice! Uh, where if you register for that, you get an email from me every day with a, a short five minute video every day for 30 days, breaking down anxiety, giving tips and strategies on anxiety. So, um, for all your listeners, I'll send you the link and we can include that in the show notes or they can go to drshilohspeaks.com. Yeah, I saw that in your story on Instagram. Yeah. And so I was like, I love free stuff. <laughs> I mean, <who laughs> I think we all do. It's, <laughs> we're recording this kind of close to Christmas. This is my yeah. gift to everyone this year is giving them a free anxiety program because so many people are struggling with that. And I just, I don't like to see people suffer. So this is my way of giving back. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the holidays because obviously there's a bunch of intergenerational trauma oh, yeah. <laughs> around the holidays. Yes. Um, And I personally just, I mean, I don't talk to my blood related family anyways, but I personally just, I just do not celebrate them. So instead of sitting at home and having anxiety or having all the what ifs, what if I did have a family that wasn't toxic? What if I go out and I serve, I serve others and it just puts such a peace in me. And I just feel like as a culture that, and some of you may come after me for this one. I really don't care, but I feel like Christmas is jacked up in so (laughs) many ways. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are spending all this money, number one, that a lot of people don't even have. Number two, we're stressing at a time when we should be like on a vacation, like peace and relaxing with friends and family or people that we love. Number three, we're just giving to people that already have a lot. And there's all these other people out there that don't even have a blanket and and are living on the street. And I'm like, how about you go give some of that over there? (laughs) Right. I think that is an excellent example of sort of breaking free from that intergenerational trauma. Um, 
giving yourself permission to step outside the box of how we do Christmas or how we do Thanksgiving or whatever holiday that you're about to step into. There, there's no written rule that says you have to do holidays a certain way. No. I really encourage people to start asking themselves, according to who? Like, if this is the way we always do it, according to who? And is that really healthy? Um, if it's not healthy for you, find something that is. There's no, like, the, the holiday police are not going to come arrest you if you do not <laughs> do Christmas the way your grandma does. I'm, I'm just letting you know. There's your permission slip to let that one go. Yeah. And even if you're like, well, my grandma is the holiday police. Well, <laughs> then tell grandma, I yeah. love you to death. But, and this is the way you've done things. And I respect you. And I respect the way that you've done things. But I just want to do things differently. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with saying that's interesting. That's the way that it works for you. I'm going to choose to do this and then just leave it at that. Like, they can still believe what they want to believe and you can believe what you want to believe. And the the fun fact is you're both right. That neither one of you is inherently wrong or flawed. You're allowed to do it the way that makes sense to you. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's weird. You know, is one of the biggest health issues that we have right now is autoimmune disorders. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you know much about how autoimmune disorders work, but autoimmune disorders at their core, every single one of them is due to inflammation and yeah. inflammation is brought on by stress. And so yeah. when we have somebody who comes in with autoimmune issues and we reduce their stress load, their autoimmune diseases tend to either totally dissipates or go into remission. Now, autoimmune disorders, in my opinion, can be an example of intergenerational trauma. In my yeah. mom's family, um, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis are rampant throughout her family. Like she has a family of seven siblings and they all have that, every single one of them. Their father wow. had it, their, his family had it. So somewhere along the way, the inflammation markers in that family became so high that it is now written into their DNA code that it's almost like unavoidable for them. So understanding some of your family history a little bit can set you up for success if you know I have a family history of severe trauma and that causes stress and it causes inflammation. And then you can start to work proactively. How do I get ahead of it? Like I know that everyone in my family has had lupus by the time they were 30, then you can start working on your anti-inflammatory protocols and things like that when you're 20. Nice. Do the, so there's like the ancestry, like, a DNA kit that you send out, right? But there's also one that you can send out that um, tells you like the diseases that have um, gone down your family tree. Have you done anything like that or know anybody that has? I do know some people who have done it. I personally haven't, um, but I have done a lot of like historical work. 
Um, one of okay. the things that they teach you in school when you're you're learning to do some of the things that I do is how to do a genealogy uh, or a genogram. So it's a very detailed history map of your family. Um, I've been able to go back and trace mine back six generations on both sides. Holy. And so I looked at everything from physical health issues to mental health issues to um, religious preferences. That's another one that you can kind of track backwards. You can see where, okay, they were Christian, Christian, Christian. Oh, they switched to Catholicism. And and you can see how far back that goes. Um, So when you start tracking things like that, you can kind of piece together some of the history. Um, If you don't know how to do that, that's where building that support network is important. Find someone who can help you do that. Yeah, I can't. I wouldn't even know where to start on a <laughs> genie. Like, I, I don't know. I know my grandmother uh, on my mom's side before she passed, she had like went down the family tree and connected a bunch of dots. But um, honestly, I don't know if I would trust it. <laughs> she was a little <laughs> cuckoo. So I would rather have a professional do it. Love right. your grandma. Well, R.I.P. <laughs> A genogram is a little different than just your traditional genealogy. Genealogy is all about this person married this person and they had this many kids. A genogram is going to look at this person uh, married this person. This was their family of origin. These were some of the things that they all seem to carry. And you're mapping some of those social experiences as well as the family map. It's, It's a combination of both. Wow, I may need to pay you to like figure out my life. I don't. I don't actually. I don't think I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> Just let me let me Good to do. Be aware. <laughs> let me do a little bit more healing on myself, and then we'll, we'll back up into that dumpster in a, a little later. <laughs> so I was listening to a uh, a psychologist talk earlier today and I just wanted to read something she said and this is quoting her and she said generational trauma becomes a culture when it's become when it becomes unnoticed because it becomes ingrained into our communities don't mm-hmm. let generational trauma become culture people can be mm-hmm. walking around earth with psychological complexities and know that life could be different oh and not know that life could be different because they were simply just never taught a different way they cannot acknowledge this or proceed to change because it's been normalized and they are unaware that something needs to change. We must cater to our minds, body, and spirit. That's beautiful. Yeah. I was like, I've got to write that down for my show because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we do have to take care of ourselves. So, I mean, I don't want to struggle the rest of the, all of my life. And I, I keep – right now I'm I'm – I've regained my spiritual relationship back with God and I'd kind of sort of fallen off that wagon a little bit, just never lost my relationship with God, but fell off the wagon a little bit. Mm. And now we're back. And, um, I've been listening to some of my favorite ministers and they're very uplifting and they say, you know, we're not supposed to live life, this life, like unhappy. And I'm just like, Okay, well, I've been living my entire life unhappy, so I need to figure this out. And yeah. then, yeah, and then I 
obviously I'm in a new psych class right now in college and the intergenerational trauma popped up and I was like, here we go. (laughs) I'm going to add a caveat to we're not supposed to live our life unhappy. From a, a spiritual standpoint, we're not promised that our life is always going to be happy. Yeah. What we're promised is, is that we don't have to go through it alone. Yeah. And that we can take comfort in that. So I yeah. think it's important that from a spiritual aspect for people, not to just go into it thinking, well, I'm unhappy, so this must be bad. Sometimes you can be doing all the right things and life is just going to throw you a curveball and you're going to not always be happy. It's not always going to feel good. That's sort of what it means to be alive. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Life is about discomfort. So if you're experiencing discomfort, I don't want people to think that that somehow means they're spiritually doing something wrong. They're not. It means you don't have to do it alone. Find the support group that's going to help you because we all have times where it doesn't go well. I don't care oh, yeah. how smart you are, how good your life is, how much money you have. You are going to have days. You are going to have times where it is hard to get out of bed and you can't find anything that is bringing you joy or giving you a reason to continue. And so that's why having a support group of people who understand that that's what life is, they can lift you up in those moments when you just are like, yeah, I'm not feeling it today. Yeah. And just to piggyback off that, just because you feel something doesn't mean that things are that way. Yeah. And it's important to become very self-aware of your feelings and know mm-hmm. that they're not in the driver's seat unless you put them there. Well, like so, you know, from an intergenerational standpoint, your feelings can lie to you. Oh, yeah. So if your feelings are telling you you're unsafe, but you're looking around and you're like, everything feels safe right now. There's no reason for me to be feeling unsafe. It might be that your grandmother was feeling unsafe and somebody said something that was very reminiscent of her. And like, you've always heard this. We're not safe. We can't trust people. Like it just because we feel it doesn't make it fact. Facts have to be verifiable. So if it's not verifiable, it's just, it's a feeling and it doesn't mean that it's real. And you may have to just go, yeah, I'm not going to go with that one right now. Yeah. Last night I was driving home from work and I was like super anxious, like feeling like something bad was going to happen. And because I'm so self-aware, I was like, Jackie, all your bills are paid right now. (laughs) Like you're, (laughs) you have an amazing apartment. Like the most you're going to walk into is one of your dogs took a poop on the floor. Like it's okay. (laughs) But it also reminded me of how much of my life I had lived that way where I just always live like in this panic mode of of anxiety, of thinking that something's going to happen to me or someone's coming after me or, you know? Yeah. And so – Yeah, just the, you know, you guys, feelings can be so dumb. And sometimes we just need to tell them to shut up and take the back seat because they're they're not true. I was really struggling with, I've been trying to forgive the people in my past, some of them that 
you know, really, really hurt me. And I was like praying every night. I'm like, God, you know, teach me how to forgive them. Like I forgive them, like blah, blah, blah. And then I heard this minister say, just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that you haven't. And if you know in your heart, like that you have forgiven this person, but you still have feelings of anger that come up at time because of something that happened, doesn't necessarily mean that you have unforgiveness towards them, you know? Well, I like to think of forgiveness as a choice. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, if you think about a lot of times people think forgiveness and for, uh, forgetting go together. And I, I yeah. don't agree with that from a psychological standpoint. You can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean you forget what happened because we learn by the experiences that we go through. So we don't want to forget it. We want to learn from it. And so you may still be feeling anger towards somebody, but that's also because if you remember, we don't just feel it here. We feel it in our whole body. So if we're not forgetting it, it's normal to still feel a certain way when you don't forget that this thing happened to you. How do you take that and turn that into a learning strategy for you going forward? True. And then, you know, the opposite side of that is you forgetting and not actually forgiving. Yeah. A lot of people do that. They dissociate from it. They just take it and go, okay, I'm done with that. The thing is, is your body can't do that. Your body still is holding it. So eventually it's going to show back up. Yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. And, you know, if any of those people out there that hurt me are listening, I just want you to know that um, I didn't forgive you for you. It was for me. Okay. I'm taking my highlight right here because what you did was messed up, but I'm going to live in peace and I'm not going to sit around and think about y'all stanky butt all day long, every day. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, (laughs) we are at the tail end of our show here. Is there anything else you would like to add? And then also let everybody else know where to find you and anything else or or your other books or anything else that you're offering. And of course I'm going to add it in the show notes. Yeah, but um, I think the last thing I would say about generational trauma for people is when you're feeling something, I want you to just pause. Like just because we feel it doesn't mean we have to react to it. Pause mm-hmm. for a minute. Remind yourself that you can wait before you react like give yourself permission to kind of go, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Is this actually about something that's happening to me right now? Or is this about something else? Don't respond right away. We live in such an instant gratification society. And I think we need to start remembering that we don't always have to answer right in this second. Not everything requires instant response. So give yourself permission to pause. Um, as far as where to find me, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Shiloh Speaks or on my website, drshilohspeaks.com. I have links on my website and I have links on my link tree in my Instagram for my books. I have a book called Conversational Boundaries that is all about uh, how to communicate your boundaries in a way that is still respectful, but not going to have you being run over or steamrolled by somebody. 
or saying yes to things you don't really want to say yes to. And I give you pocket phrases on how to do that. Uh, very clear communication strategy in there on how to talk to people without engaging in uh, yelling or aggressiveness. You know, we want to communicate clearly and effectively. And then I have a follow-up journal that is a boundaries journal that gives you prompts on how to sort of explore your boundaries if you maybe don't know what your boundaries are. Um, that is there as well. And then, of course, the new anxiety program, which is free um, for a very limited time. So take advantage of that while you can. That is just full of information about anxiety, all the way from where does anxiety come from uh, to how do you cope with it? And then, uh, what steps you can take going forward. So if you're needing to maybe engage with a healthcare provider, I talk to you about the different types of providers and what they can do for you. Um, and then we have the exit strategy, which is also about leaving narcissism or toxic, uh, relationships, uh, that are abusive. That program is available through, um, my website and through Instagram as well. Um, yeah, I think I covered it all. Guys, I think she just handed out like a load of things that you could, um, gift somebody for Christmas, you know, instead of buying them another pair of shoes they don't need. Get something that's going to help break these intergenerational traumas (laughs) and let's be healthy people, you know? Yes, absolutely. Let's be healthy, y'all. Well, we love you, Dr. Shiloh. And I have a feeling that we will have you back again. (laughs) (laughs) It would be my pleasure. I would love to. Okay. Well, I hope you have a great day and I will see you soon. Thank you.